0: Welcome to the National Community Church podcast. We're thrilled to be able to share this weekend's message with you. You can find us on national.cc or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. My heart is really tender this morning, and so I just can we just begin by word word of prayer. So, God, um, I just believe you have a love note for us today. So we just prepare our hearts to receive. God, I just so humbly open my own um, self. God, would you just, would you prepare our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, Lord? Somehow between my mouth and and um, those that are listening today, would you just do your beautiful work in the name of Jesus? Amen. 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 Well, this week is actually a, a you know, special anniversary, a marker of a date, exactly 65 Years ago, in 1958, um, a special commitment in prayer was made. Pastor David Wilkerson made a commitment to the Lord that he was going to spend every evening in prayer. Instead of, you know, other things that might distract him or other, um, you know, ways that he might spend his evening, that he would spend each evening just seeking the Lord for prompting, for discernment. And we know when we commit to just leaning into the Lord, asking him to speak, that he will. And so just a few weeks later, as he was in this evening and time of prayer, he happened to glance over, and he saw a Life magazine laying there, and he began to absentmindedly flip through it. And as he did, he came to a a full-page spread, a photo of seven young men, seven gangsters in in, um, New York City who were on trial for the brutal murder of a 15-year-old girl, and he began to weep. His soul was just so burdened in that moment. He began to weep for the the situation and the pain, but also for these young men and what had maybe happened in their lives that had brought him to that point. And he felt the spirit prompt him and say, go help those boys. Mm -hmm. So he had never been to New York City before, but just three days later, he was there and actually at the courtroom and began to try to maybe intervene in the trial to try to meet these young men. And of course, he was thrown out of the courtroom but because he felt that burden so strongly, he then began to um, just pursue these young men that were on the streets and involved in gang activity and to try to begin relationship with them. And so um, that led him to to meet a young man in, uh, named Nicky Cruz, a young Puerto Rican man who it would turn out was actually the leader of one of the most wild and violent gangs on the streets. And and one of those interactions when he was trying to make a connection and get through to him, Nikki became very angry and aggressive and actually threatened with the switchblade to take his life. And David Wilkerson famously replied, he said, you can cut me into a thousand pieces and yet every piece of me will still cry out that God loves you. Yeah, yeah. It was that burden of love, that burden of love on David Wilkerson's heart that led him to continue That work not only in Nikki's life, but also in many of the other young men on the street. It eventually went to found Teen Challenge, which is a drug rehabilitation center that even today helps 24,000 young people every single day across 80 nations get free from their addictions and from the pain and the hold on their life. Wilkerson went on to write the book, The Cross and the Switchblade. Perhaps you read it. It sold 50 million copies, and there was a movie eventually made, and and um, by the way, you know Teen Challenge is really special to us here at NCC because um, the trip to the Teen Challenge Center in Ocho Rios, Jamaica, was the first mission trip that NCC ever took. I think 22 years ago now this spring. And we have continued in relationship with that same center. Um, in fact, Joel shared about being able to take our son and some other um, boys last year. And we actually have a trip that's that's going there in just a few weeks. If you want to continue some of that work with, with Teen Challenge and David Wilkerson and NCC and the work that we've done and and, you know, I had already kind of prepared to lean into the story, but my heart, I think, is particularly tender because, because we know that there is hurt and pain and violence on our streets, even here in D.C. In fact, just a week and a half ago, about just a few blocks from here at the Potomac Avenue Metro, you know, violence that started on a metro bus and proceeded into the metro station where a metro employee who stepped in so um, valiantly ended up losing his life and so each of us should be burdened in such a way, right, with the pain that brings people to these points and these individuals. And David Wilkerson told Nikki Cruz, you know, that, that declaration of love in such a bold way. And, and Nikki will share the story that it, was such, it had such an impact on him because it was the first time he had actually heard or been told of a love like that. In fact, he'd been raised in Puerto Rico before he had been, you know, sent to New York City. He was raised by parents who practiced a spiritism. And it actually caused them to do some really kind of cruel practices, some really he was mentally abused, and his own mother would actually call him the son of Satan. So as he understood himself, he was not only unlovable, but he was actually evil even. And Wilkerson was the first to tell him how boldly and beloved he was by the Lord that ours was a God who sees and who hears, and it's because that he is a God who loves. But I might propose that we, like Nikki, or like many of those other um, young men, that we actually have a difficulty loving others well and maybe even operate of the opposite of love because we don't actually have a great grasp on God's love for ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? We have not been able to accept God's powerful love in our own lives, and many of us are even haunted by Words or messages that were maybe told by someone who was, you know, should have been delivering messages of love or trust, messages that may be pain or cruelty that we carry today. And I would say, even the culture, everything around us actually tells us that love is circumstantial and that's dependent on us and our behaviors. And it's hard, it actually, um, it's it's very difficult to imagine a love that's any different than that, right? We only know a love that has to prove itself. So today, we're going to receive God's love for us. You are going to receive God's love for you. I hope we're going to counter the message of a world that tells us that we have to prove ourselves. So where do we go in God's word to do that? I mean, it's not an easy task, right, of, of find a passage in the Bible where we're going to lean in about God's love because the whole book is a story of God's beautiful love, right? There's, it's, it's one long story of God's love from Genesis to Revelation. It's an integrated message, one of the most beautiful love stories ever told, the story of God's continued pursuit of his loved ones, of us. You know, it begins in Genesis with that beautiful relationship with Adam and Eve and a glimpse of eternity, of love with him. But of course, it's only a few chapters in, in Genesis 3, that um, they made a decision that separated them from God. And the rest of the book of the Bible is all of his attempts to win us back. And throughout the Old Testament, God proclaims, and there's more than 300 prophecies about a Messiah who would pay the penalty for man's sins so that we could be reconnected with him again. And then in the New Testament... Jesus fulfills all of those prophecies. So it's a beautiful story of a loving God. So I'm actually going to land today in the Psalms, which are just beautiful love poems that are written. And we're going we're gonna to spend a little bit of time there. But before we do, um, we're just going to think, you know, maybe wrestle with the word love and with language of love a little bit. And, and because of some of our limits of language, maybe that's also a reason that we have some difficulty of understanding Love, because we have one word for love in the English language, right? I mean, we, have, we say love, maybe we say devoted or other things like that, but we have that one word, and we use it in all of the ways. And so I will say that I, I love my spouse, I love Joel, I love my three children, I love my nieces and nephews, and I love all the kids in this church, and I just, that's, that's a kind of love, right? But I also use that same word love when I talk about how much I really love iced coffee. <laughs> I really love it, and I really, really love sunrises. And I really—oh, I hear murmurs in agreement. And I love the ocean, or really any body of water with, with, especially if the sun is like glimmering off of it. So, so we'll say I love and all those things in the same way. And and of course we have to—we know in our hearts that we don't. When I'm saying I love Joel, I don't mean the same thing as when I say that I love iced coffee, though there, there are moments. I mean, I. I, I, really, I know, I know. It's the, I really do really love it. I mean, I'm the, I'm the weird one that at this time of year in the winter, I still order the iced coffee and I get all the sideways looks, but that's the way, that's the way that I love it. Um, so the English language uses the same word love to describe a, a variety of different feelings, but in the original languages of the Bible, in ancient Hebrew and Greek, they're much more precise when describing emotions of love. And, and um, many of you have probably studied this at some point, but I just thought it was a really an important refresher that maybe we just spend a minute here. Um, so there are four different words for love in the Greek. So eros is the Greek word for romantic love. That term originates from the, the Greek god of love, right? The, the um, Roman version would be Cupid, who we'll be thinking about this week with Valentine's suppose. But it represents, Eros represents a physical desire, sensual love. And God's very clear in the Bible that Eros love is reserved for marriage. And of course, promiscuity of all types was very rampant in ancient Greek culture, and it was one of the obstacles that Paul really had to overcome and battle when he was planting churches in the early church. And so within the boundary of marriage, eros love is to be celebrated and to be enjoyed as a beautiful blessing from God. But in our culture, right, that one version or, or perception of love might be the most prevalent. It might be the one that we see most presented in our movies and our culture and our images. And then there's storge. This, word, this Greek word describes familial love, like between siblings or parents and children and it would be like the love that Jacob had for his sons, or the, the love that Mary and Martha had, that affection that they had for their brother Lazarus. And then Philea, This describes the, the emotion seen in deep friendship, or a, a strong love for fellow human. I believe that we're, we're walking in that love even when we're prompted this morning in and, and these ways of giving. And it, it It originates um, from from a noun meaning beloved or dear, someone who is prized in an intimate way. And Jesus said that we would be known, we would be known as his followers by this word. By everyone will know you are my disciples if you love Philea, one another. That's in John 13, 35. And then finally, agape. Agape love. God's immeasurable, incomparable love for his people. It's pure it's sacrificial. It shows kindness and goodness, not just out of an emotional connection, but out of integrity and choice. And that's the love in John 3:16, the kind of divine love that he expressed for all of humanity, when God so loved the world, Agape love, that He gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, and I think that was just a prompt. It was to me a reminder that when I am reading through passages of scripture, and the word love is in so many different places. In fact, I tried to just look up like what's the count and how many times the word love is even in scripture, and it's actually difficult because it depends on the translation, right? Because of so many of these different, um, different meanings and faces on on words, but. But I do encourage you when you study to maybe even pause and take a look. What, what word of love is being used here? And, and maybe we can even become a little more intentional in our word of love. You know, I was thinking about some of the little, the Valentine cards that we'll write this week. Maybe stretch ourselves. Maybe we can even, maybe one of these Greek words will even make it into one of your Valentines. I don't know. But John 1, 4 through 8 says that God is love. And, and I, I don't know about you, but I can, does anyone else, can anyone else say First um, John four seven and eight, and not sing the song. You're giggling, right, beloved? Let us love one another, for love is of God, and anyone who loveth is born of God, and knoweth God, and he who loveth not, yay, knoweth not God, for God is love. Do you love it? Let us love one another, First John 4, 7, and 8. Yay, you made me so proud. But I'm just telling you, if you're not using song to memorize scripture, like you're just doing it wrong because it's, it, it will carry, you'll carry with you for, for all of your life. And so that is a gift that working with young people helps you is this, those scriptures right on your heart in a way that's there forever. So beloved, let us love one another. God is love, it says in 1 John 4, 7, 8. He is love. So when we study his character, when we walk in his character, we, we are walking in his way of love. So now that we've seen the different words that are used in the ancient texts for love, let's dig in a little bit into the Psalms. In the book of Psalms, um, you know, it, it maybe steps away from some of the, the doctrinal pieces, and it really is a glimpse into the human heart, right? It's the way that our hearts are built to just rele- to, to process um, strong feelings of emotions. And and the truth is, in our lives, even as we engage in or walk in love, it, it feels hard some days and beautiful some days, right? Isn't that the reality of love? And, and even Psalm 23, when David declares, like, it, it really, if you just read the whole thing, he swings back and forth so emotionally, right? At some point saying, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's that, that moment in my pain point, but even though I walk through that, I will feel feel. I will feel no evil, for you are with me. Right, later it's saying, but ending that whole passage, but surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I think that is true in terms of how we experience God's love, is that there are moments where we, we feel like we're in that, in that, um, in that valley place. And we ha- we're having to choose to declare, even when I walk, God, you are with me. And then there's moments when we just feel just the beauty of his surely your goodness and mercy will follow me. I will dwell in your house forever, God. I will choose to walk in your ways forever even when 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 you feel closer or when you feel far. So throughout the Psalms, we get a look at the love that God offers. And he offers a complete love. A love that loves us fully. To be loved and to feel love is very sweet, but to feel known and loved, that there's a depth of sweetness of being known and loved. And God knows our full transgressions, right, in a way that if you're like me, sometimes maybe even makes it difficult to step into prayer because, oh, I'm stepping into a place of intimacy with someone that knows all of it knows even the the depths of not what I've been able to discipline myself on the outside, but what I really feel down inside. So God knows it all, and he loves us fully still. We get little glimpses of that sometimes, right, in our relationships here. And as we grow in connection with one another, we get the opportunity to know fully and to love fully still. Sometimes it's harder (laughs) than others, I don't know if you've seen on um, social media, there's, like, this challenge going on that's called the Ick Challenge. Has anyone seen this? It's like two couples will kind of share back and forth to each other, like, basically, here's kind of a sweet little poke at the things that you do that drive me crazy. And so they'll say things like, okay, the way that you drink orange juice and coffee and milk at one meal (laughs) at the same time, that's Ick. They'll kind of say back and forth to each other. Um, or I'll maybe say to Joel that the way he pours milk on his brownies when he eats them, he does, he does do this. It's his special way. I don't know. I just sit on the other side of the room. I sit on the other side of the room. But he he gets back on me because he can't even be in the same side of the room if I eat a bowl of cereal. So I, apparently I do it wrong. I'm not sure. So <laughs> we have a chance to know each other fully and to love fully still. And I'm poking at some of the surface level things, but the truth is, that as we grow in intimacy and relationship, not just with the spouse but with a best or dearest friends or those that we allow to know us fully still, we are allowing them into the intimate places, right? And, and allowing them to um, see all pieces of who we are really with the trust that they will still pursue us and that they will still love us fully still. And, and sometimes that is the case and then sometimes that's not the case, Right? And we, um, I would say that that's why often just pain points in marriage or in a deep, broken relationship of trust becomes so painful because it's a person who I allowed to know me fully, to, to know me fully still. But that's not the way that the Lord is. In Psalm 139, it talks about the way that he knows us and loves us so deeply. It says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, and you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is even on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. That whole passage is such a beautiful declaration of the Lord's love for our full selves. I encourage you to study there a little bit this week and just receive his love for you. It goes on to say that, you know, he, you created me, my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you because I'm fearfully, I'm wonderfully made. So those are, there's just God's beautiful um, words of love to us and our full selves. Yeah, yeah. That is the God that we have. One that knows you even better than you know yourself. He knows about every situation in your life and he will never abandon you. I know that there are um, many of us in the room today that are prevented from maybe fully enjoying that persistent love or even being able to fully believe it because we carry the burden and some way of shame. And I want to draw us to Psalm 51 for a moment to remember the fullness of his love and mercy over us because Psalm 51 was written by King David after Nathan had, um, had confronted him concerning his affair with with Bathsheba. So really in one of his moments of deepest shame, which first of all, that whole passage is just so beautiful to me because what a beautiful picture of friendship. A, a friend who would so boldly, um, in a very innovative way, actually confront David, confront David on um, just ways of, of living or things that he were doing that were not honorable to the Lord. So that's just a beautiful story in and of itself. But David's response in Psalm 51 to... He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. David pleaded to God for his forgiveness and mercy, but he believed in a God of steadfast love. We don't have to pretend in the presence of God. And when we are even confronted ourselves with our own missteps, because we will, right? We will step out of God's intentions for our lives. We will even grieve the Lord. But we can believe in a God of steadfast love. I believe that God wants us to live free. He wants us to be free from the the, the burdens of shame that we carry when we have found ourselves out of what he would desire for us. So God's love is complete. He loves us fully, and he wants us to walk in his freedom. His love is also persistent. In just a few days, Joel and I will celebrate just the anniversary of the date that we got um, engaged, and I'm always it was such a really beautiful you know time for us and and i often will share this the story for with other um, young people that are maybe particularly as they're walking in a relationship that they're maybe uncertain of the path forward because i think again to to culture culture will maybe often present this image of of love or, or relationships or even the path towards marriage and in, in in a certain way that, that I don't know is always real reflective of how it often happens or or the story that God's written on many of our lives. It's very much like a love at first sight and an, an instant clarity of how exactly this, you know, God's, you know, chosen path for me or that. And I just don't know that that's often how it really goes. And so for Joel and I, um, it, it was, the path was a little bit more curvy to to hear from the Lord. And, and we're, we're both probably more... Um, Deliberate or intentional. Some might even say slow to decision. Um, We actually had to purchase a new vehicle yesterday. And any of you that went on that journey with us know, wow, they are really slow to decision. (laughs) It's true. But I think part of that was because we were both, you know, navigating some fears in our own life. And for me, that came from just, you know, um, like pain or brokenness of, of, you know, marriage in my history. And so it was more of a path of... um, pursuing the Lord diligently to wait for his leading and his persistence. But but there was such a persistence on each of our behalf, persistence of the Lord and with one another. And so I think um, uh, while that journey, even so, that, that's, that is, that's carried into our marriage, right? In, into our marriage has had to be a persistence in love. And those of you in the room that have been now married for a long time would know that there are moments that it just feels like so... Um, beautiful and easy, and then there's moments that it's a persistent choice of love, right? It's a discerning of the spirit to just stay committed to the things that, that, that we know he wants us to. And I mentioned that, and it's a little bit weird sometimes. It's always hard. to balance between when you're talking about the love of the Father and, the, and God's love to draw on human relationships. But um, I, think, I do think that it's important, one, because my understanding is that God does use relationships in our life to give us glimpses. Of his love, and and that has been true in this just persistence in one another's lives. But also, I think the church often um, it can be tricky to talk about marriage in the church for a number of reasons. One, I think we are sometimes guarded about it because we the church has misstepped historically in assuming that that marriage is God's path for everyone and His plan. Um, for everyone or we know that many have suffered pain in that relationship and so it's like we maybe not want to to talk about it or address it and it's not God um, God's plan for marriage is for some not for all but that being said for those that are in marriage, I do believe we need to become a little bit more mold about talking about it in the church. Because we know that there are so many that are so desperate to, um, are, that are trying to find their way in that relationship and feeling a sense of brokenness. And I just want to say that if you're a place in your marriage that you are wrestling or hurting, that you are not alone. And particularly in the last couple of years since the pandemic, we will just tell you pastorally that it has, um there. there Are many hurting in that place. And and because we really care about that, actually, um, there are a number of offerings here at NCC this next semester. Just our team has been so intentional about wanting to put as many resources in place. And so there'll be a link on the screen. Joel and I actually ourselves are going to offer just um, a a period of weeks, a seven-week kind of what we hope is a catalyst into some other things, just leaning in to health and marriage. And the reason why is because we know that, that sometimes when those relationships on earth feel like they're, they're broken, then a lot of times people can get very confused then in their relationship about the church and can develop a distrust of love in general. So God's love is persistent. It's full of affection, but it's also steady. His love is graceful. So a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Mark prompted us at the beginning of this series. He prompted us to reach inside for a moment and to to try to call back, recall for ourselves um, a moment of God's love and of his faithfulness where his love was revealed to you. And I was immediately transported to um, the winter retreat of my seventh grade year. I was a 12-year-old young girl and I'm sure that it came to my reticular activating system, as Pastor Mark would say, it came to my mind. Because uh, we were about to send, and, and this weekend they are almost, I think, ju- just under maybe 99 or right out of 100 students, middle and high school students here at NCC, and their friends and the community are off at their winter escape this weekend. And so perhaps that's why it came to mind, and I was reflecting on myself at that age, and that's the first time that I was invited by a friend. I was not um, From a church going home, or and I was invited by a friend to a youth event, and I began attending for a number of months. And it was on a winter retreat there as a 12 year old girl that I said out loud to the Lord, If you are a love, a God of love, that I hear all these, particularly these adults, these adult youth leaders saying that you are, and I saw really the reflections of that in the peace and the joy that they had on their lives, then. God, I want that forever, and I will commit my life to following you forever. And so at just 12 years old, I knelt, and a youth leader knelt next to me and prayed, John 3:16, for God so loved you, Nina, that he gave his only son, that by believing in him, you shall not perish but have everlasting life because of his love for me, because of his love for you. And I have been reflecting a lot on, on and I, I feel like every time that I'm here, I speak about um, teenagers. That's because we're raising teenagers. I have a deep, I've met Jesus as a almost teenager. I have a, an affection, um, a soft spot for teenagers and the ways that I felt at that age um, that I was so drawn to the Lord. And, and studies are actually showing that the teen years, actually between 10 and 15 years old, is the time when a young person's self-esteem will be the lowest, in fact, and I've linked both of these in your message notes if you want um, on the NCC app if you want to go back to them later. But a study was just released that over a two-year period, it examined the well-being of about 5,000 young people that were born around the year 2000. And so it interviewed them, I think it was like 11, 14, 17 or something in their ages. And it found that one in seven girls report being unhappy with the way that they look at the end of elementary school. And that that rises to almost one in three by age 14. And in focus groups, uh, young people highlighted that that transition from elementary into secondary school was particularly hard on their self-esteem and many concerns about being judged, about not fitting in. This tells us that this is the age that our declarations of love and adoration need to be the loudest and the most persistent, that we need to not only be reminding these young people of, of our love for them, but of the love of the God that created them and that walks with them every day. There's another study um, being done right now. Actually, some things were just result- were released even this last week. It's it's the authors of the book, The Coddling of the American Mind, which um, Jonathan Haidt, one of the authors, is preparing for an upcoming book. And, and so he released these studies. So I think we have the first slide. It um, shows just since 2004 to 2020 that there's been a 145% increase and teens and teen girls having um, this is their you know their self-identifying in this way carrying major depression and a 161% increase in boys. The next slide, and I won't linger here, but just um, shares just either thoughts of suicide or attempts of suicide between ages 10 and 14 and between ages 15 and 19. The numbers really are um, staggering, and and I see this um, lived out in the lives of our young people, like when I was. Um, talking with my my daughter Ella she's been sharing with me just what her experience in school she's just turned 16 and she has shared you know she is um she says it's very known and obvious that her she's a person of faith and that her parents are pastors and and so often young people will come to her and just share their stories or ask questions and and are very candid and she told me recently about these two gals that came to her and they were having a whole conversation she was they were baffled by the idea that she attends church regularly and they said don't you just like don't you hate going? Don't you feel so judged when you were there? And she said, no, I feel love and respite and release that prepares me for the next week. And so I shared with her, can't you just see then that if that's the impression that young people have of what happens here in this room, how they would just reject it outright. And so my, my prayer is, is, you know, as, as we desire for the love in our own lives, that, that we're able to show that, that we have a special assignment. We have a special assignment on the lives of our young people. Yeah. We have a special assignment to remind them that they are loved and worthy, at least through those years as their brains develop and as to resettle in the sense of self. But we have a special assignment to tell them that they were created. Right? Psalm 139, they were knit together intentionally and there's a plan and a purpose for this life so my assignment to you this week would you just would you find one young person (laughs) to just tell them just show a different um level of love and affection on their life and to tell them how loved they are by the lord they'll they'll rebuff you and they'll roll their eyes at you and it's fine (laughs) so our god is a his love is a pursuing love Dick both spoke last week, and if you've ever had the privilege of having dinner with him, you would know that he asks one question always. It's, he always asks the question, especially when he first meets someone, where do you call home? His asking that question is to know where a person is from or where they feel a connection to, but he um, also knows that our God offers the kind of love that feels like home. And he shared the story of the prodigal son, and, you know, we call it the the prodigal son or the parable of the prodigal son but really it is also the story of the loving father right that saw far off and ran unashamedly toward his beloved son and that is the story of the God who runs towards us yeah. and it's the love that we can show to one another my children I, I, I hope that they know and the kids that are in this church and in our families I hope that they know that there will be a moment when they missed up There will be a moment when they grieve our spirits and the Lord's spirit and that they will be received back so fully with open arms. And that is the God that wants to receive you back also. In Jeremiah 31, it says, The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love and I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. He draws us. He draws us. He's running towards us with unfailing kindness. His love pursues and his love is trustworthy, it's hopeful, it's sovereign. While it's very generous, it doesn't come without guardrails. Because he wants what's best for us. Right? We, we talk a lot in our home, you know, <laughs> love, love changes and develops when, when kids are, are young, it's full of lots of giggling and affections. And then as it gets older, there are conversations about boundaries and limits and We have a lot of conversations lately about authority, (laughs) right? And partially we're trying to find the balance of giving free agency and independence where where it matters and at the same time understanding that a respect for at least God's authority, but that's manifest in our respect and understanding for, for different forms of authority and what's the right balance on that. But what we do know about God is that sometimes his love does have guardrails. But that actually is also freeing. And recognizing the sovereignty of God means a gift of his provision. So I want to ask you if there's something that feels like a guardrail in your life or something that you're maybe resisting from the Lord, I just want to ask you, do you trust him? Yeah. Yeah. In Psalm 18, David wrote on the day he was delivered from his enemy, King Saul, he wrote to the Lord, as for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless and he shields all who take refuge in him. He recognized a sovereign God. And that there is refuge in his protection if we trust in it. And that is his beautiful love. I'll invite the worship team to come at this time. But um, slide 105. 100 verse 5 says, For the Lord is good. His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So I just want to remind you in case there's anything happening in your life coming into this week or something that you might face this next week that might tempt you to doubt God's goodness. Because the reality is that we are on his mission and while we have him so near and close to us, we are walking in a broken world, right? And until we get to be with him We're going to have to navigate and face those consequences of things that are happening all around us. We're going to have to carry the burden of them. I even had something this week that just ah, wrestled me with burden and and worry in a new way. So I just had to choose that, that word. God, you are good. You are good. You are good. You are good. God sees you. He hears you. He loves you. His love is complete. It's persistent. It's full of grace. It pursues. It's trustworthy. So if anyone has presented you a kind of love that is different than any of these things, then I want you to receive God's pure love today. Just reset with a reminder of who he is. This is why it really is important that we're reading his scriptures on the regular because we have to remember what his love is like versus that that we see around us. So, it's, it's my prayer that anyone that enter into this house get a taste of that supernatural love. And I actually pray over you that that goes with you to your home where you live that, or where you work. That those that engage with you and encounter you would get a taste of God's supernatural love. So let's just, let's just thank him. Can we thank him today? Let's, God, yes, praise you, Jesus. God, we praise you with our hands. But Lord... thank you that you are good Lord would you give us the gift to taste your pure love Lord would you allow our minds to discern to discern between um, false love of this world God and the love that you offer even as we glance at ourselves in the mirror this week or as we hear ourselves in a meeting or in a conversation God um Would we be reminded of your affection? And God, we send that message of love right back to you. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. We We adore you, God. Thank you for the gift of your love in the name of Jesus. Amen.